2: Greetings, happy holidays, and happy new year to you all. Welcome to 2024, and to an all-new edition of Attaboy Clarence, delightful to spend some time with you, and how glorious it is to be celebrating the world of classic movies, even today. A marvellous brace of movies to tell you about today, a pre-code spy thriller that kept me enraptured, and a gritty police procedural that'll wow the heck out of you. This is what I sound like when I stub my toe.
6: Yes, high-potency N-stop-triple-oh. Stop triple O. stop odor of breath, odour of body, other personal odours. All three at the same time. That's important because anyone who comes in contact with the public should take high-potency N's chlorophyll tablets as protection against all odour offence. Odour offence.
2: My goodness me. Imagine listening to this and realising that someone has made a product just for you.
6: N-stop! Triple O so effectively that just one or two ends tablets keep you fresh as a daisy
2: all over all day. I would love it if this product is, in fact, a clothes peg for your nose.
7: Ends make triple O. Go, go, go.
2: Let's hear that again.
6: Go, go, go.
2: Yep, that's the noise that Zorro makes when he's leaving his mark.
6: Try this test. Rub an onion slice on your hand.
2: Now I don't like where this is going.
6: Now moisten an Ends tablet and rub it over the same spot. Why the odor is gone? Exactly. That's how high potency Ends act inside your body to stop odors where they begin. High potency Ends are guaranteed to stop Triple O the very first day, or money back.
2: That well, it all sounds. No very-
6: deodorant, mouthwash, chlorophyll chewing gum, or toothpaste. Nothing that acts only in the mouth or on the surface can possibly stop triple O. Okay, I'm sold. You must take chlorophyll internally for these results. So get ENDS, that's E-N-N-D-S. ENDS, pleasant tasting and safe as any garden vegetable. That
2: is one hell of a tagline.
6: Get high potency ENDS available everywhere. still going. Only 49 cents, larger sizes, even more...
2: I'm sorry, but it was becoming annoying. Great, now I have a body to dispose of, and the smell will be unbearable. If only I had... Ah! Just put the old clothes pack on.
8: One minute to midnight One minute to go One minute to say goodbye before we say hello Let's start the new year right Twelve o'clock tonight When they dim the light Let's begin Kissing the old year out. Kissing the new year in Let's watch the old year die With a fond goodbye And our hopes as high as a kite How can our love go wrong If we start the new year Let's watch the old year die With a fond goodbye And our hopes as high as a kite How can our love go wrong If we start the new year
2: lovely kicking us off this year bing crosby with let's start the new year right and let's get to some movies then one of my favorite cinematic discoveries during the holiday period was one that i was almost sure that i wouldn't enjoy not many people have a glowing opinion of 1934's "Stamboul quest directed by sam wood with a script by mank himself herman j mankiewicz seems like people are quite cool on the film and so i put it on expecting something of a snooze fest i was delighted to be proved wrong i was almost instantly suckered in and i found it to be a delightful dive into espionage and seduction with a definite pre-code edge to it all it has its issues but we'll get to those in a minute this stars myrna Loy, george brent lionel atwill leo g carroll and c henry gordon and here's a clip
9: well Fraulein Doctor. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're here. Sit down, oh. sit down. Why why didn't I hear from you?
1: I couldn't get word through by ordinary channels. Huh? I didn't dare tell them who I was. So I had them bring me to you. Oh,
9: good, good. Oh, oh I, I I was afraid. I thought perhaps you were
1: dead? Mm. Ah, no. <laughs> but I shall be if I don't get a bath pretty quick. Oh,
9: come on. Use my
7: bath. I'll telephone you your apartment for some clothes. We can talk while you scrub.
2: Myrna Loy plays infamous German spy queen, Fraulein Doktor, the empress of espionage. In fact, as the film opens, she's just returned from a mission in the field with news of her fellow spy, Matahari.
1: I saw Matahari. You'd better wire her to come here immediately. She's fallen in love with the Russian we sent her to watch. Are you sure? Positive. She gave herself away a dozen times
7: i will be in touch with her right away.
1: In code MM4?
7: That's the code the
2: French know.
1: The code she probably sold the French.
2: I wonder if she did. So do I. Her spymaster Von Sturm, played by Lionel Atwill, soon informs her of her next mission. She's to journey to Turkey to try and ascertain the intentions of one Ali Bey played by C. Henry Gordon. The British have been scoring some intelligence wins there, and the man they think is friendly to the Allies is Bay himself, the man at the top. It's Fraulein Doctor's job to seduce Bay, convince him she's working for the British, and see what happens when she makes him a deal.
7: You know, of course I found out that you deliberately had yourself seated in front of me this afternoon to attract my attention.
1: I knew you'd find out.
7: Why did you want to meet me?
1: You're really very modest, aren't you? I'm sure there are many other women who've tried to meet you.
7: Not women like you, my dear. Why did you try to meet me?
2: There's a spanner in the works though, and he's a burly kind of spanner. American Douglas Beale, played by George Brent, has been recently arrested in Germany. And before Fraulein journeys off to Turkey, she's asked to use her feminine wiles to determine if Beale is innocent or guilty of spying for the allies. She swiftly deduces that he's nothing more than an innocent tourist, but it's too late. She's been too seductive this time. In fact, Beale has fallen head over heels in love with Fraulein Doctor, and as much as she doesn't want to admit it, she's fallen for him, too. What will happen when Beale trails off after Fraulein when she embarks on her dangerous journey to Turkey? Will he inadvertently give the game away? Will their love survive when he discovers the games she plays with the enemy?
7: Surprising you didn't meet your uncle, isn't it? Especially after sending such a distinguished messenger, the commander-in-chief of the Dardanelles. I suppose you sent the commander-in-chief because the sultan was busy brushing off his clothes. Douglas. You didn't come here to see your uncle, did you? No. There is no uncle? No. Ah. You came here to see this man, this Ali Bey.
1: Douglas, you've got to trust me. Oh, can't you see? I'm
7: trying to trust you.
2: Don't worry, I've only given you the setup for the plot, and that's because I do not want to ruin any of the film's more delightful sequences, which all start in earnest when the gang hits Stamboul. Its intrigues are plenty from all sides, and the beautiful thing is watching Myrna and her spymaster mind quickly calculating and recalculating every move on the chessboard each time a piece gets knocked off. I love a spy thriller because the inherent nature of them requires flawless design. If someone's pretending to be someone they're not, then that facade needs to be bulletproof. If it starts to crack, then it can lead to some deliciously tense moments, and Stamboul Quest is masterful at chipping away at the safety. First off, it's worth saying that Fraulein Doctor was a real-life character in World War One. This is by no means a biopic, it is heavily fictionalised. In fact, very little is known about Fraulein Doktor other than she looked absolutely nothing like Myrna Loy, and that she trained operatives rather than joined them in the field. Also, the Mata Hari subplot is complete nonsense. For those of you who listen to The Secret History of Hollywood, all I will say is that in the very next episode, which is recorded and in the editing process right now, you are going to hear one hell of a spy story and maybe have a few myths smashed when it comes to those names just mentioned. But if you take this for what it is, a Hollywood spy story, then it's top tier stuff. This isn't James Bond watch lasers territory. This is subterfuge and deceit on the highest level. Everyone seems to be on to everyone. Who will come out on top? And because we see how utterly ruthless everyone can be in this story, we're never ever sure if a happy ending is on the way. And we're squarely in pre-coat country too, believe me. Myrna Loy was never quite so seductive, and given as much of a chance to play with her sexuality as she is here, it gets very racy at times. In fact, a good analogue to modern spy tales would be the Jennifer Lawrence movie Red Sparrow. I was reminded of that a few times. You also get great turns from Leo G. Carroll who isn't in it much but does make his mark. Lionel Atwill is devastatingly good as Von Sturm though. He's as ruthless as they come and there is an Atwill moment near the end that might take your breath away. Is it perfect? It's very near. The framing device that opens and closes the film is a little bit clunky, and could easily have been removed. It's a very Hollywood edition, which isn't a good thing every single time. I think if we'd chopped away the last minute, we might have been left with a very different taste in our mouths. And George Brent, after seeing him cast as the leading man in many films, I do still unfortunately fail to see the appeal. I think David Niven or Melvin Douglas would have worked so much better in this role. Brent comes across like Errol Flynn if the agility and charm were replaced by oafishness and hair dye. That said, I was glued to it and the second half is a very explosive affair as all the armour falls away. Watching Myrna go from the queen of the spies to hunted animal is breathtaking stuff. And the way she keeps every man bent to her will will make you want to applaud its spellbinding storytelling. That is Stambool Quest from 1934. Superb pre-code spy fun. I'm going to take something of a step forward in time for our next film, a few decades this way, but still very much rooted in the traditional. A film that I think perfectly bridges the crime thrillers of the golden age with the crime thrillers of today. In fact, the first half of this film definitely gave me the same kind of vibes I got when I saw David Fincher's Seven for the first time. That very methodical kind of police procedural with a nasty edge to it. This is also a British movie, so not quite so constrained by the rules of the production code, which were still being enforced in Hollywood at the time. This is a very gloss-free production, raw stuff, and filmed in Brighton. So much of the landscape atmospheres make you feel as though you're at the edge of the world. Starring Jack Warner and directed by Val Guest, this is 1962's Jigsaw. Well, stay with me. Stay the night. I don't
6: want any money. What do I want
10: money for? I want you, Johnny. Listen to me, I didn't want to have to say this. I wanted you to choose me for me. Well, now you're going to have to tell her. Couple of months. Oh, Johnny, Johnny, it'll work out. You'll see, everything will work out fine. Make the break, Johnny, make it now. Stay with me. It will work, you'll see if it, Johnny.
2: Johnny!! Warner plays Detective Inspector Fred Fellows, a Brighton detective nearing retirement who, along with his much younger and more physically dynamic partner Wilkes, played by Ronald Lewis, is called to investigate a strange theft at an estate agent's in the town. There's something odd about the robbery itself. The thief seems to have gotten away with little more than a couple of documents, which aren't that valuable. But Fellows is intrigued, and after an inquiry or two, follows a fragile trail to a house on the windswept beaches of Brighton. And something isn't right in that house.
6: What are you doing? What's that?
2: I'd say it's a hacksaw, wouldn't you? Yeah, heck over
4: there or burn up. A knife. That's a damn stupid thing to try and burn. I was thinking. I know what you're thinking.
2: It's then that a macabre discovery is made. In the garage, the remains of a woman are discovered, along with the tools used by a particularly grisly killer to do his dastardly work. From here on in, we're following the breadcrumbs with Fellows and Wilkes, with the younger man doing much of the chasing around, while Fellows turns his attentions to the more cerebral side of investigation, where even the most throwaway questions can lead to some startling reveals.
4: As a man of the world, what is it? Perfume. I know it's perfume, I'm not that senile. I mean, what kind of perfume? You never give me time to study perfume, I don't know. i say they're both different. They are. Lots of women use more than one perfume. Yes, but how often do they use two bedrooms? This pillow came from the other room. One or two bedrooms, the answer's not going to find Campbell.
7: If we can get enough answers to enough questions,
9: we'll find John Campbell. The kind of answers I'd like are one, why did he steal that lease? If he hadn't, the body would still be undiscovered. And two, why did he stop halfway through disposing of the body? Did he have cold
7: feet?
2: Now, obviously, I won't be spoiling any twists and turns in the plot. Suffice to say that there's a rather ingenious trail the pleasure of watching jigsaw though is first in its tastefully constructed atmosphere and mood this is filmed like a ghost story for christmas the rural locations are remote and spine tingling and the more urban settings are grimy and dusty and claustrophobic there are some visual touches that provide true wow moments too val Guest is really telling a gorgeously visual tale here and the complete lack of musical score adds to the kitchen sink realism and the seriousness of the task at hand. The plot itself always leans on the side of plausible, which I love. The investigation feels like just that. There are no clanging coincidences that lead to breakthroughs. No car chases, no shadows on the stairs. This is a horrifying murder case with seemingly no clues at hand. Therefore, when Fellows asks the tiniest of questions, and receives morsels in return that sometimes pay off and sometimes don't it always feels authentic you follow eyewitness accounts and check records and visit suspects and each time the picture becomes that inch more filled in with detail lastly it's such an absorbing story that you just can't take your eyes off it. You never get lost in a sea of names or fussy details. You go from step A to witness B to shop C to clue D. The exposition is buried in the dialogue for the main part so you don't feel talked down to. In fact, this film does a better job of making you feel as though you're a fellow detective on the trail than most crime films I've seen. And as I say, because we're in Britain, it can get away with a few grisly additions that just weren't possible in Hollywood. The whole film feels lived in. The characters are beautifully drawn, especially fellows played by Jack Warner. He's wise, he's mature, he's approachable, he's funny, he's charming, but he's also not so full of his own ego that he becomes obnoxious. The film is equal parts showing his genius at detection, and also his training of the next generation of investigators. I adored it. I think it's a superb, overlooked classic of British cinema and a definite jewel in terms of crafting the detective story format that we're all so in love with today. If you want a taut, fascinating, adult thriller that's heavy on procedural but still light enough on its feet to entertain you, then look no further than Jigsaw from 1962 and Istanbul quest and jigsaw are both in my classic movie library so if you're signed up at patreon.com slash or you've followed the link in the show notes of this very episode then get watching i'd love to know what you think now as it's the new year how's about a radio offering for you with a smart link to the passing of the new year. One of the most curious and yet most interesting ideas for a radio show began in 1937 and ran until 1940. It was entitled The Good News Program, created and operated by MGM themselves and sponsored by Maxwell House Coffee. It was largely an assemblage of MGM's biggest names coming together to perform skits, tell you all about the movies they were starring in, and other little assortments that could only have happened in the tinsel town of the golden age. For those nostalgia lovers amongst you, imagine tuning into a show like this each week. The episode i selected for you came from December 30th, 1937, so right on the point of the new year. And indeed, the stars are here to make sure you celebrate. I won't spoil what you're about to hear, except to say that you're in for a very fun time in the company of MGM's biggest names. And your host for the evening, a brightly talented young man whose name you may know well. Welcome to the Good News Show, folks. Because let's face it, the world could always do with more of that. Enjoy!
5: Good News of 1938. Again, we bring you good news of 1938. An hour behind the scenes in Hollywood, brought to you direct from Metro Goldman Mayer Studios, home of Hollywood's greatest stars. Now let's picture ourselves on our famous Soundstage 30, where today they've been shooting scenes with Myrna Loy from Test Pilot. Tonight, stars and players have crowded onto this stage to hear and take part in our good news program. And what a program! We're going to hear Myrna Loy, Wallace Beery, Lionel Barrymore, Fanny Bryce, Frank Morgan, and many others, as well as Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. And here's the young man who will welcome you to this hour of grand entertainment, the popular young chap, Jimmy Stewart.
11: Hello,
5: everybody. Uh, Well, I guess you've gathered from Ted Pearson's opening remarks that tonight's program is uh, really something and uh, right now I want to present the uh, first oh, excuse um, me,
11: James Frank Morgan
9: <laughs> Hey! Uh, you said Frank? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Frank. me yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Well uh, Jimmy, I just wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas Oh, thanks, Frank That Christmas was last week but. Uh, oh, was it? Well That's funny and here it is again well, my time certainly does fly. Now, <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, Frank, I think you're just a little confused. New Year's yeah. Day is the next big holiday on the schedule. See, that's the oh. day after tomorrow.
9: Oh, oh, of course, certainly. That's Well, that's what I wanted to do, wish you a happy New Year. Oh, well, thank you, Frank. I'd
5: like to wish you the same. Well,
9: thank you. And by the way, where are you going to spend New Year's Eve? Oh,
5: I just a little party at home, having in some friends.
9: And... Yeah, well, I guess I'll go over to Meredith Wilson's house. He... Usually has a little gathering on New Year's Eve. And oh, I, he does. I, uh, did uh, Meredith invite you? Uh, did he you? Well, no, not exactly. But, uh, oh, well, we've been friends for a long time. And if he's having a party, I know I'll be more than welcome. Mm-hmm. I well, I don't know, Frank. I just, I... Uh
5: always been a little leery about breaking in on a party uninvited,
9: you know. Oh, well, I can see how you feel, but
7: with oh, Meredith
9: and me, it's yeah. different. <laughs> I, we, why, we, he'd probably feel hurt if I didn't show up at his party. I've always been there. He'll no doubt ask me before the program's over tonight. Of mm-hmm. course, he'll invite me. <laughs> it's, 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 to my, my wife and his wife are the best of friends, too. Uh, I, I well, I'm wonder why he hasn't asked me already. I don't know. I've... Uh, <laughs> well, well, he'll invite me. It's absurd to think of it being any other way, certainly. But, uh, see, uh, I'm supposing he doesn't invite me. Oh, but he will, of
11: course. I, uh,
9: I remember I... At the time, I loaned him $200 to get him out of... Uh, well, there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't invite me. <laughs> Oh, sure he will. I don't, uh... See, come to think of it, he'd have a lot of nerve not to invite me. Who does he think he is, anyway? And after all I've done for him, having a party and not inviting his old pal Morgan, he can't do that to me. Oh, hello, Frank. Yes, well, now, just get this, Mr. Wilson. I wouldn't come to your party if you were going to play run, sheep, run, and post office. You've got got a lot of... you friends. You are. You're a fine... What's he talking about,
5: Frank? I...
11: (laughs)
9: Uh,
5: you know, I, guess, uh, funny. I I think he just talked himself in and out of your New Year's Eve party, Meredith.
9: <laughs> My party? Why, just this afternoon he invited me to spend New Year's Eve at his house.
5: Oh, at his house, huh? Well, I don't know what this is all about. Wait, Meredith, sing something, will you? Me? Sing, sing something? Yeah, sing. Or play. Uh, Morgan's got me all mixed up here. Playing. Right. <laughs> Here's that little girl you're all waiting to hear. That amazing, alarming, maddening creation of Fanny Brice's baby Snooks.
9: <laughs> Snooks, where are you going?
10: No place, Daddy.
9: You're acting very suspiciously. What have you been doing, Snooks?
10: Playing with all the little boys and girls, Daddy.
9: Then what are you doing in the house, rummaging through the silver closet?
10: I'm looking for a spoon.
9: Oh, what do you want with a spoon?
10: I want to look down Tommy Hutchins' throat.
9: You want to look down Tommy Hutchins' throat?
10: Yeah, he swallowed the key. What key? The key to the trunk. And I need the key, Daddy.
9: Well, what do you want to get into that trunk for?
10: I don't want to get in. Mary wants to get out.
9: You locked little Mary Hutchins in the trunk?
10: I didn't mean to lock her in, Daddy.
9: Oh, you didn't, eh?
10: She crept in after Dickie.
9: Dickie and Mary locked in a trunk? Snooks, this is terrible. Why did you do it?
10: So they couldn't tell who locked Nancy in the closet.
9: Oh, Snooks, you're a very naughty child. I don't know what to do with you.
10: Should I go stand in the corner, Daddy?
9: No, come here. Now, Snooks, you've got to learn to be a good girl. Listen, I want to tell you the story of a very, very good man who never harmed anyone. Yet through his goodness, he conquered the fiercest animals in the whole world.
10: Is it about you, Daddy?
9: No, it's the story of Daniel in the Lion's Now, Once upon a time, there was a good man named Daniel. Daniel who? Oh, just Daniel. And one day, Daniel was carried away from his home in Jerusalem by a wicked king.
10: What was he carried
9: in? Oh, I don't know. He was just carried away.
10: In an airplane?
9: No. In
10: an automobile?
9: No, he was carried away on a camel. Who? Daniel. Now, the wicked king carried him away.
10: What wicked king?
9: Nebuchadnezzar.
10: Nebuchadnezzar
9: who? Nebuchadnezzar. He carried Daniel into captivity.
10: What, Daniel?
9: The Daniel we're talking about. What
10: are we talking about?
9: (laughs) Snooks, I want you to pay close attention. I'll spank you. Now, Daniel became the king's favorite. And one day, the king said... What king? Nebuchadnezzar. He said to him... Said to who? To Daniel.
10: What did he say to him?
9: That's just what I'm going to tell you. He said to him...
10: Who said to him...
9: The king! The king said to him... Why? For no reason at all. He just said to him, my good man. Who's good man? Listen, Snooks, the king said to Daniel, I like you very much. Huh? Hmm? I like you very much.
10: I like you too,
11: Daniel. All right,
9: Snooks, all right. Well, the king wanted him to do something wrong. He wanted him to lie to the people.
10: Daniel no one in the
11: lie?
9: No, the wicked king... And when Daniel refused to do anything wrong, he was thrown into a den of fierce lions.
11: But real lions?
9: Why, of course. Real fierce lions. And who do you think threw Daniel to the lions? Huh? Who threw Daniel to the lions?
11: Ah! Well, why are you crying? I didn't do it. <laughs> I know you
9: didn't. The king threw Daniel to the lions. And although the king expected to see Daniel torn to pieces, he was not. Who was not? Daniel.
10: What Daniel?
9: The good man. What good man? Have you been paying any attention to me at all?
10: Mm Mm-hmm.
9: Well, what have I been telling you? You tell
10: me. All right. There was once a lion called Daniel who took a very good man and threw him at the king. And the king didn't want to do nothing wrong, so he bit the lion. Oh, Mommy. Mommy, quick. Come here. What is it, dear? What happened? I think Daddy jumped out of the window. Now,
5: I want you to hear a success story. The story of a little girl who was discovered in the East by an MGM talent scout and is now in Hollywood. Hey, uh, Frida, Frida Starr, come on, come on up here. Hey, now, stand up on here. Boy, you're little, aren't you? Now, Frida, uh, we'd like to know a little something about you. Oh, where'd you come from?
0: I what? come from Brooklyn.
5: Oh, I see. And how old are you, Frida?
1: Thirteen.
5: Thirteen. Uh, how'd you happen to take up singing?
1: The teacher at school heard me singing in the hall one day. Uh-huh. And she said I ought to study voice. And so I did. Oh,
5: yeah. All right. Well, tell me, Frida, uh, how did the MGM talent scout happen to discover you?
1: On account of Brooklyn, I guess.
5: Oh, uh, well, how, how on account of Brooklyn?
1: I sang at the school in Brooklyn, and somebody was in the audience that had a friend. And the friend had a cousin that knew Mr. Altman. Oh, Mr. And...
5: Mister Altman, that uh, MGM talent scout, huh? Yes, sir. And that's what brought you here, huh?
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Well. That's right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Frida Starr will sing Romney Life. on the Maxwell House program was the most gracious and charming lady who has been crowned Queen of the Screen. We're very happy to have her with us again tonight, Miss Myrna Loy.
1: Thank you, Jimmy.
5: Now Miss Loy is going to play a part of Nancy Turner in a sketch called Sweet Mystery written for her by George Oppenheimer.
1: Yes. And Jimmy Stewart plays the part of Alan Turner, Nancy's husband.
5: Oh, yeah. Miss Loy, I just want to take a little time here before we start this sketch to tell you that (laughs) you've always been my dream girl, Miss Loy. I just wanted to tell you.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Jim.
5: Uh, I just wanted to get that in here. Well, anyway, uh, the scene is Nancy's house, and we look in on a wedding ceremony. Do you, Nancy Smith, take this man to be your lawful husband? Do you promise to love, honor, comfort, and cherish him in sickness and in health, in prosperity and in adversity, and for better or worse, so long as you both shall live? I do. Before these witnesses, I, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the state, and in the name of the church, do now pronounce you husband... And why. Hey, anybody seen the bride? You're too
1: late, Roger. She's upstairs dressing. I'm
5: always too late. Just think, I was head man with Nancy until Alan Turner came along.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. They meet, and two weeks later, they're married.
11: Look, hey, here they, they come. come. Look, Look there the they are. They are. <laughs> hey, talk goodbye. Goodbye, buddy. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
1: Darling. I'll make that double. Oh, careful, darling! Keep your eyes on the road. Well,
5: I'm sorry, that's impossible unless you get out of the car.
1: <laughs> you know, I feel something like chicken curry. There isn't an inch of me that isn't covered with rice.
5: That's my favorite dish.
1: Oh, Alan, just think. Two weeks ago, I didn't even know you. No. Uh-huh. And now?
5: Well, now you still don't. Would you, would you mind just keeping on saying that for the rest of the trip, huh?
1: We'll say it for the rest of our <laughs> lives.
5: Yeah, you know, we're going to be a couple of awfully dull conversationalists, but we'll like it, huh?
1: Of course, we'll say other things, too. Right? Oh, yeah,
5: yeah, of course, like uh, pass the salt, and uh, I need more money, and uh, the baby's crying, no. and...
1: <laughs> well, you have made plans. Oh,
5: sure, sure, sure. Then, of course, there's that unfinished business of finding all about each other, you know.
1: That's the wonderful part of it, Alan. Most people, when they marry, know everything. There's nothing to find out. There's no mystery, no glamour.
5: That's right, darling. We'll just spend our lives finding out things about ourselves. Wonderful things.
1: Darling, would you be very disappointed if I told you I'd had a very dull past?
5: Well, I'd break your neck if you hadn't. Say, uh, Hey, by the way, who was that strange-looking cluck that kept kissing you all the time? You.
1: That strange-looking cluck, Mr. Turner, happened to be my brother. He came all the way from England for the wedding.
5: Oh, well, I guess he just hadn't gotten his land legs yet. Yeah.
1: What do you mean by that?
5: Well, it's uh, just weaving a good deal.
1: Elmer uh, does not weave.
5: Elmer? Uh-huh. What, your brother name, Elmer?
1: <laughs> and what may I ask is so funny about Elmer? Well, he was named after my grandfather, and he was a general in the war between the states. Oh, uh, Which side? Confederate, of course.
5: Well, well, what do you mean, of course? You know, there were generals on the Union side, too. For instance, my grandfather... Oh.
1: Your grandfather fought on the Union side. He did? Right? Well, well, well. Well,
5: well, well. What do you mean?
1: I was you... just wondering if there is something in heredity after all.
5: Well, my grandfather's side won.
1: That's right. Rub it in.
5: Oh, now, darling. Hasn't anybody told you the war's over? Oh. No, you... In the name of the North, I'd like a kiss.
1: In the name of the South, I surrender. Thank you, Junior.
5: Junior? Where'd you get that Junior stuff? I
1: don't know. Oh yes, I do too. Who was that badly dressed woman at the wedding? She, she'd had one too, one drink too many, and she kept calling you Junior.
5: Well, that uh, badly dressed woman happens to be married to my brother, my brother Stu. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, she was certainly living up to your brother's name. No, well, now
5: that's not very funny. That's not very funny. And what's more, she's a very fine woman. She had welfare committees and. I
1: didn't say of... she wasn't fine. All I said was that she was badly dressed. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, if
5: you want to go into costume, that Uncle Archie of yours, uh, when he came up to me, I thought he was going to give me a tip on a horse or something.
1: Uncle Archie's one of the sweetest men in the world. I do hope I haven't married a man who's going to turn out to be a snob.
5: Oh, snob. Uh, Well, at least I held on to myself better than some of your Democratic friends, you know.
1: Just who are you referring to? Well, I don't know.
5: You're referring to that old friend... Peter, somebody or other. Yeah, he fell asleep under the piano, you know that?
1: Poor Peter. I wondered why he didn't come to kiss me goodbye.
5: You wondered why I didn't? Well, Well, I'll tell you. One of your other dear friends was holding on to you like a clam. What's that guy's name? Roger...
1: I suppose you mean Roger Ormsby. Well... It just so that arm,
5: That's the one, Ormsby, that guy. I bet he kissed you goodbye 50 times.
1: Why, Alan, you're jealous. No, no, I'm not jealous. I'm just
5: observant, that's all. It isn't very pleasant for a guy to have his wife mauled all over the room by a whole lot of strange men.
1: Oh, now you're making me out cheap.
5: No, I never said that.
1: No, but you implied it. And don't drive so fast.
5: Oh, well, now you're going to tell me how to drive.
1: I merely said don't drive so fast.
5: Now, I guess I know how to drive.
1: That's only a guess.
5: Well, if there's anything I hate, it's a backseat driver.
1: This is a fine start to honeymoon. Married one hour and you hate me already. No, I didn't say that. You did too.
5: Well, I said I hated backseat drivers.
1: Don't tell me what you said. I heard you and stop going so fast. I'm not
5: going fast.
1: You're going over 60. Nonsense. It says 65 on your speedometer. The
5: speedometer's wrong.
1: Uh Aha.
5: That's fine. That's all we need. Pull over there.
1: Pull over.
5: Well, where's the Fire. Gee, how yes, fast I... do you think you were going, young fella? Well, I don't uh, know. Officer,
1: why. we were only going 40 miles an hour.
5: Oh, yeah? I had your clocked at 65.
1: 65? Why, Alan, darling, your speedometer must be broken.
5: Yeah, that's right, officer. It said 40, didn't it, Sweets?
1: Yes, darling. Come on, skip the and get down
5: to business. She was going 65. Well, uh, officer, it was this way. I...
1: You see, we were just married.
5: Oh, yeah? I've heard that one before.
1: But look, officer, rice.
5: Yes, rice. Uh, if you don't believe that, here's a piece of wedding cake. Well, mm. uh,
1: I'd ought to run you in. Oh, officer, you wouldn't. Just as we're starting on our honeymoon?
5: Yeah, it might affect our whole married life, you know.
1: All right, I'll, I'll let you go, but don't
5: let it happen again. Oh, no, thank you, Al. Ah, thanks a lot, old man. Okay, thanks for the wedding cake. I'll take it home to the missus. Ah. Wasn't he sweet? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Alan. Yes, Nancy?
1: I love you, darling.
5: I love you Nancy. Forget about what I said about Roger and the rest of them.
1: I'm sorry about your
11: sister-in-law.
1: Oh, forget it. Oh, darling, I'm so glad that cop came along.
5: Yeah, so am I.
1: We'll never fight again.
5: No, no. no, I'll never be jealous either.
1: I wish I knew his name. We ought to be grateful to him for the rest of our lives.
5: Yeah, yeah. Swell guy.
1: And handsome, too.
5: Uh, Notice that.
1: Of course.
5: Too bad he wasn't at the wedding. He could have kissed the bride.
1: (laughs) There you go implying things again. And don't drive so fast. Well, who's driving fast now? You are. You're over 60 again. I am not. You are, too. I, I am not. Alan. Yeah? <laughs> you better bring out the rice and cake, dear. That man's here again. Thank
5: you. Thank you, Marlowe. And now, Ted Person. Hello, Jimmy. Friends, standing beside me is the head of the commissary, where everyone here meets for lunch. Her job is to provide meals for the stars, executives, directors, writers, cameramen, and extras, which makes her practically house mother to the entire MGM family, Mrs. Frances Edwards.
12: Good evening, everyone.
5: Now, Mrs. Edwards, what's the size of that official family of yours? How many persons do you serve on an average day?
12: About 2,200.
5: Ooh, you serve 2,200 people a day. My, that's a lot of people.
12: Hmm, I should say it is a lot of hungry people.
5: (laughs) Speaking of food, how many cups of Maxwell House coffee does your
12: family drink every day? Well, let's see. Of course, beside the commissary, we have a coffee shop adjoining where the stars and others drop in for coffee and a bite to eat during the afternoon. I'll tell you about what some of our famous people like to eat with their coffee soon, sometime later. But to get back to it, we serve from 2,400 to 2,600 cups of Maxwell House coffee a day, not counting what we send out to companies shooting at night. And I'd say that's a lot of good coffee.
5: Hmm, Agreed, Mrs. Edwards. It is good coffee. But tell me, is Maxwell House an economical coffee for you to buy?
12: I've certainly found it so. You know, using coffee in the quantities I do, I find I get more full-flavored cups per pound of Maxwell House because of the way it's packed in the vacuum can. Why, of course, it's always roaster fresh, not only when I buy it, but when I use it.
5: Thank you, Mrs. Edwards. And remember, friends, you too may buy as many cans of Maxwell House at a time as you like, whether three pounds or three hundred pounds as Mrs. Edwards does. And always know the last can you open will be just as fresh and full-flavored as the first can. And this full flavor means full value, means more cups per pound of Maxwell House, more of that rich, rare goodness of this coffee that's always good to the last drop. Meredith Wilson continues our good news of 1938 with one of the best tunes from the Jeanette McDonald-Allen Jones musical, The Firefly, The Donkey Serenade. stage 30 tonight, but there's one star who was here before any of them. He's made a picture with all of them, I guess, and there's not one single one of them that hasn't learned something from him. Tomorrow, his latest picture, of The Bad Man of Brimstone, will open in your favorite theater, and he's here tonight to tell us a little about it. Wally Berry! Yes. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, say, uh, they tell me Brimstone turned out great, Wally. Uh, what kind of a part are you playing? Well, well, let me see. I guess I play uh, one of those tough guys. Uh, well, how tough are you? Well, I was tough enough to shoot myself in the leg. <laughs> <laughs>
11: uh, they
5: uh, call me uh, Trigger Bill. That's when the picture starts. But along comes a young fellow named Jeff Burton that's going to clean me up. And who do you think he turns out to be? Who? Well, my own son.
11: Oh, I see. Oh.
5: So I can't be tough with him. Can't shoot my own Oh, even though he's aiming to ruin me and my gang. Well, that's quite a situation. Yeah, that's a great spot. The boy doesn't know I'm his paw, so he beats me up, and I can't do anything about it. The worst part of it is that i got to fight on the side of the law and order just to help him. Well, i finally become a sort of a mayor in one of the big scenes of the pictures where he's trying to arrest my crooked sheriff, Blackjack McCready. Both of them, my kid, Jeff, and Blackjack, are standing in front of a bar, about to pull the guns on each other. Here we go. You, Black Jack McCready? Which I'm the same. You're the new Marshal, Jeff Burton, huh? I've been craving to meet you for a long while. Black Jack, it's my duty to order you just once to give up them guns. Make your fight. Okay, if that's the way you want it. And drop them guns. Drop them guns. I'll kill the both of you. Stay where you are, Bill. Keep out, Bill. This time I'm doing it my way. There's neither of you doing nothing. Me and Triggerby B. Alline, still a head man around here. Any shooting that either one of you starts, I'll finish. You told me you killed this fellow, Bill. Well, what about it? You lied to me. Of course I lied to you. I felt like lying. I er, reckon I relish it. Better start relishing it, too, Blackjack. You're getting bigger than your boots. Get out of the way, Bill. I'm going to start shooting. I'm standing right here, McCready. Get out of here, Bill. I don't need your help. Jeff, you hold your jaw. I've had enough of you horning into my town. What'd you have to come back here for anyways? You your don't belong here. Your sheriff's resisting arrest. It's my job to take him. You want your first job to be a murder? Now stand where you are. I'll get the shooting irons and blackjack well, I'll here. I'll make it fast, then. Give them shooting irons and blackjack. Here. Now wait a minute, Bill. Just don't come no further, because I'd just as leave till the both of you together. You ain't getting by with this twice. I'm getting by with anything that I've a mind to. You remember this one thing. When you pull them triggers, it'll be the last move that you'll ever make because I'll throw my brand into you before you hit the floor. What are you making this fight for? Can't them details wait until after the election? Sure. I'll tell you about this later. We can show Brimstone that we're honest citizens. That any of our party can stand a legal trial without fear or favor. Hmm. See sense in that? So you're surrendering to the marshal, Blackjack. McCready, justice has got to be done. Uh, All right. I knew you'd say it my way, Blackjack. Marshal, there's your man. It was mighty fine, partner. Well, thanks, Tenderfoot. How long would you say it took that scene to play? Well, about three minutes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Jim, it's not right. Nobody's ever seen those people who work behind the scenes. Nobody ever hears about them, but without them, no picture could be made. Yeah, that's true, but I guess there's not much you can do about it. Yes, sir, it is. Sir. We can at least give the public a chance to meet them. Yeah, well, I think that's a swell idea, Wally. Well, that's what I thought. So I'd like to have you meet the man who made the sets for The Bad Man of Brimstone, the art director of MGM, Cedric Gibbons. Thank you, Wally. Oh, a new Cedric Gibbons, huh? Yeah. Eh? Uh, Tell me, Cedric, what do you think is the most important person connected with the uh, making of pictures? There's no question, Wally. The scene designer. No doubt about it. What would a movie be like without sets? Well, a picture like Brimstone. Nature made all the mountains, trees, and things like that. But unfortunately, Wally, nature didn't make those things according to script. So we even had to design and build nature's handiwork. We had to fix nature up the same as any actress, so she's camera-proof. So a designer can make a tree, too, huh? Certainly. Mm
11: -hmm. Sometimes
5: we've got to build whole cities or towns. I don't suppose you gave it much thought, but how do you suppose the town of Brimstone found itself on the MGM lot when you were shooting Bad Man of Brimstone? We built it planned it just as if we were building a real town where people actually live. Well, too bad some of those props weren't as real as the town. Uh, Which props do you mean, Wally? Well, in the saloon, you know, the bottles. Oh. Well, uh, we're only worried about the camera. If a substitute for the real thing photographs as well and is more economical, we use it. In this case, what was in those bottles photographed perfectly. Yeah, you should have tasted it. You're not supposed to drink the props, Wally. Yeah, well, don't worry. It's the last time. Well, Cedric, I'm glad you were here tonight. I wish I could bring... All of them, like I said before, hundreds of them that you never see. As for Cedric Gibbons and myself, I like to say, so long. All right, Ted Pearson, there's that good old smell of coffee again. Must be coming from that old Maxwell house right across the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, is appetizing, isn't it, Jimmy? Let's invite the folks in, shall we, to have a steaming cup of Maxwell House coffee. It's a swell idea, Ted. Yeah, let's let's all go over and enjoy again our favorite custom—a cheery, friendly cup of Maxwell House coffee. And while we're about it, this this is a good chance to say Happy New Year to everybody. May the year 1938 bring you health and happiness and prosperity. And Meredith, while we're in for a cup of Maxwell House, how about a tune? Pause now for station identification.
9: KFI, Los Angeles.
5: It's Jimmy Stewart again, and we're continuing our good news of 1938 with Wally Berry, Myrna Loy, Frank Morgan, and right now you're going to hear from Franny Bryce. Imagine a small apartment in New York City, at home, Mr. and Mrs.
13: Sam Garfinkel, and uh, they're worried about money. Sam, we owe two months' rent. There's no food in the house. When you going to go out and look for a job?
7: one of these days my inventions are going to make me rich. I don't work like other men.
13: I work with my brain. Even when I was a night watchman,
7: I invented something to keep our boilers.
13: Yeah, and you couldn't get out yourself.
7: Listen. (laughs) For all you know, I may even get rich yet from that sweepstakes ticket I bought.
13: Don't mention that ticket. You took my last two and a half dollars that I was saving for a permanent wave. Sweepstakes. Come in. Mrs. is A cable gram from Ireland. A cable gram from Ireland. Thank you. Sam, is somebody in Ireland interested in your invention?
7: Why not? It's an automatic potato pillar. Come on, new, open up already. Wait,
13: wait, wait. I'll read it to you. Oi. Oi, Sam. A terrible thing has happened. What's the matter? Oi. We won the sweepstakes. So what are you crying? Because I can't believe it. Don't be foolish.
3: (laughs) Keep Look
13: at me. I'm calm. takes me wrong, Yippee, yippee. <laughs> what are you laughing like a girl? <laughs> Sam, we're rich.
7: Yes. If our horse wins, we'll collect $150,000 and retire.
13: You know, Sam, hmm? for the first time since I know you, hmm. you look
7: handsome.
13: Ah. <laughs> uh, hey, what's the name of our horse? Sahara. Sarah, that's my sister.
7: Not Sarah, Sahara. And if Sahara wins, then we're rich. Not before.
13: Come
5: in. How do you do?
7: My name is Sanford. I represent a London syndicate
5: that buys up winning sweepstakes yeah. tickets. I've come to make you an offer for your ticket.
13: Well, uh, how much would you offer, for instance?
5: I'm willing to give you five thousand dollars for half interest. So
7: you still have a chance to win on the other half. Well, what do you say, Shady? Would you like to sell half the ticket or keep it all?
13: Hmm, if it was possible, I'd like to do both. But you can't have your ticket needed.
5: You'll have to decide right away as they're soon running the race. And once the race starts, it will be
13: too late. Quick, Sam, turn on the radio. Maybe they're broadcasting the race. All right, Shady. This is Bert Bradley
3: speaking from where the Grand National
11: Steeper Chasing 2 has stopped at a moment. The
13: weather's clouded, but the track is fast, and Sarah is the favorite.
11: Sarah's favorite? Yes, she's the favorite. <laughs>
13: Mr. Spencer, you have the noise to offer me $5,000 when the horse that's named after my sister is favorite.
5: I'm sorry, Mrs. Garfinkel, that's the offer. As long as the track is fast, Sahara is the favorite. But should it start to rain and the track gets muddy, Sahara hasn't got a chance.
7: She can't run in the mud. Goodbye. Sam. What's the matter, she did
13: Sam, my corn started to wait. Hi. I
7: think it's gonna rain. Well, if your corn whites here, how would it rain in England? Well, I
13: got a very big corn. Mm.
3: <laughs>
13: quiet, quiet. Listen to the radio.
3: The horses are coming up for uh, a start. there are dark clouds gathering. Oh, my goodness. There's a thunderstorm
13: going. Oh, I should have sold half for five thousand.
3: There's a heavy power of rain. It's a thunder shower.
13: Oh, I would take less now. Now
3: ah, but the sun is peeping through the clouds again, and it looks as though
13: the race made the storm. Oh, I wouldn't take 50,000. Ah, the They're which They're off. Sahara shoots right out the Sarah, mind the My, my sweet hat run, and don't let them catch you. Get up, Sarah! I'm so in the league, but it's beginning to rain again. Oi. Oi.
3: It's beginning to rain in earnest. But
11: Sahara's still out in front. My gentleman's
3: second and
13: third over third. But now my gentleman is in front. Oi. Now is in front. Now my gentleman's in front. Aye. What kind of a gentleman don't let a lady go first? <laughs> Come on, Sarah, I'm begging you. If you are true, sister, you wouldn't let me down. Get up, Sarah! That rain's coming down in torrents. What a storm!
3: Wait, I think Sahara fell. Oi, are you sure? No, it wasn't,
13: Sahara. <laughs> it's right. too The
3: guards a stretched. They're neck and neck. Four horses are practically near at the finish. They'll be a nose finish as
13: sure as you're born. If it's a nose finish, Sarah will win. The
3: decision
13: was very, very close. We'll have to wait for the judges'
3: confirmation. Oi, Sam, I can't live to it. Here's the decision. The winner? Yeah, yeah. Red
13: Oi. Well, we wouldn't get a hundred and fifty, but Sarah, <laughs> but Sarah surely second so we'll get seventy five thousand.
3: Second. Yeah, yeah. Blue night.
13: Aye. So we wouldn't get seventy five thousand, but Sarah surely third, so we'll get fifty thousand. Third. Yeah, yeah. My gentleman. Oh, you call that bomber, gentleman? What happened to Sarah?
3: She's out of
11: the money.
13: The sweepstakes is over, and now the
11: sun is out. Yeah, and so are we. <laughs>
5: Well, Edie Adams, hey, what's on your mind?
0: (laughs) Listen, Jimmy, look up yonder, way up in the sky for a heart to ponder for a little thing for me.
5: Okay, Edie, now I'm looking up in the sky, but I don't see anything up there.
0: What's the matter? Are you blind? Come on, Skipper. Tell me what you see up there beside the Big Dipper. Hurry, tell me what you see. Well, really,
5: Edie, I don't see anything up there in the sky except maybe the moon.
0: Well, of course, that's what I'm talking about. You put that moon in the sky just to work its miraculous charm. It isn't fair Who put it there without putting someone in my arms. Who left me all by myself to sit around and wonder who left me up on the shelf? Who is responsible for that wonder? Who put the moon in the sky just to frown and look down from above? It isn't fair who put it there without giving me someone to love.
5: Now, listen, Edie, you should know the moon's really not to blame. It's all your fault, and you forgot to play the wishing game.
0: What wishing game? Well, Edie,
5: that's the moon moon up there, and you can make a wish to
0: anybody, anywhere. Well, Jimmy, just for fun, I'm going to try that wishing scheme.
11: Oh, yeah, huh? Here
0: I go. I'll wish on the moon to bring me a dream What? Here I stand once more upon the sand of manakura moon enchanted
5: City on a kind of a, well, uh, you know, one of those nights you don't know exactly what to do to have a little fun, and you finally... It finally dropped into a ticket broker's office to find out what good shows there are in town. Well, if you have, you'll appreciate this George S. Kaufman, Mark Conley skit we're going to present now with Frank Morgan as the customer and Handley Stafford as the broker. Now, the scene is a ticket uh, agency, and it's on Broadway opposite the Low State Theater, and the ticket broker is behind his desk, and his telephone has just started to ring. Yes.
9: Hello, McTyson Ticket Agency. Two for the Astor Theater? Yes, they'll be $18 apiece. Oh, why so much? Well, you see, I have to get them from another broker. And uh, he has to get them from me. Sorry. Oh, is this the McTyson Ticket Agency? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. As long as the name was printed on the window, it's been silly to be some other place, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh... Of course. They, are you Mr. McTyson? Yes, sir. And what can I do for you? Well, of course, you don't know me from Adam, but, uh, well, Adam would look a uh, good deal old older than I do. <laughs> I said, uh, you should know me from Adam. After all, I'm dressed.
11: <laughs> <laughs>
9: yes. Well, I might as well tell you, my name is Pritchard, Mr. Pritchard. How are you, Mr. Pritchard? Uh, oh, there's a little matter I'd like to take up with you if you've got the time. At your service? Yeah, well, Thanks. I, uh, well, frankly, it's about theater tickets. I see. Well, I like frankness, Mr. Pritchard. I believe in it. Good. Then we can talk business. Absolutely. You, uh, sell theater tickets here? That's right. Yes, well, you're looking at a customer. (laughs) All right, sir. And what would you like to have? We have tickets for all the leading theaters. Well, could I see some? Now, here you are. I don't think you'll find a finer collection of tickets anywhere in the city. Now, just take a look at that one. Oh, sir, that's lovely. Kind of rub your hand over it. Oh, it's smooth as velvet. Nice. Yes, sir, that certainly is a nice ticket. Mm -hmm. Have you any blue ones? No, I haven't. Been quite a demand for blue ones this season. They go pretty early. Yes, well, this is a nice ticket, all right. (laughs) I hope you don't think I'm funny, but there's one under there that I'd just love to have. What? certainly. Uh, This one? Uh, no, not that. you're warm though. <laughs> this one? No, not that. This is fun. Uh, well, well, now wait. Uh, don't uh, tell me. No, I won't. Uh, this little fella. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly want to congratulate you. You picked out a very pretty ticket. Very pretty. Yes, it uh, it doesn't break a set, does no, it? No, oh, no. <laughs> well, uh, may I hold it? I just want to see if it fits my pocketbook. Why? Sure. Yes, say, it fits perfectly. Looks cute there too, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah. Oh, see this picture in my wallet. That's mm-hmm. my niece. You don't say. Yes, yeah, homely, isn't she? Yes. But getting back to tickets, I oh. think you like this one. It yeah. costs five seventy-nine. How much? Five dollars and seventy-nine cents with the tax. Oh no! Well, I'm afraid I couldn't. I oh, no, no. Too high price. Yes, that's. Well, uh, how about this one? Well, that looks all right. right. 384. Oh, no, no. That it's still be. It's still a little... too high, huh? Yes. How about 267? No, no. Uh, not 267 either. No, you see, I figure in these times. All right, sir. I think I have just what you Oh, here you are, sir. A dollar 89. No, no. I wouldn't pay that. You won't pay a dollar 89. I couldn't think of it. I see. But you want to see a show. Oh, yes. And I... you won't pay a dollar 89. No. Uh-huh. Maybe you'd like a pass. Oh, do you handle those? Oh, sure. Just for cases like this. Uh, Good shows, of course. Oh, yes. Well, that sounds all right. Yes, I'll take one if you don't mind. Hmm, That's the spirit. Now we understand each other. Oh, do we? Well, I'm not a hard man. Oh, no. I knew you'd listen to reason. Well, now we can talk business. Yes, sir. What's your proposition? Well, we've got a very nice list of shows here. All depends on what you'd like. How about a good mystery play? Oh, no, no, I don't think I care to see what they frighten me. All right, sir, what do you say to a straight drama? No, that's tiresome, don't you think? Well, it's up to you, sir. We want to please you and get your repeat order. Well, I'll tell you the kind of thing I'd like to see. Of course, I don't think there's anything just like it playing right now. Oh, that's all right. Maybe we could get it up for you. Well... You uh, you remember the Ziegfeld Follies? Oh yes. And Grand Hotel, that was awfully good. I remember. Yes. Well, I just love to see a sort of a combination of the two. I see. Just a minute till uh, I I'll write that down. Yes. Now let's see. Z- Ziegfeld Feld, Follies, Follies and Grand, Grand Hol- Hotel. There. Yes, that ought to be good. Yes, sir. I like to see that. And I'll tell you something. I'll give you a very valuable pointer for your business. There's hundreds of others just like me. People have flocked to a show like that. At the same price. Uh, yes, sir. Mm. You know, this is the way to get people back to the theater. Yeah, probably get quite a run out of it. Uh, now, uh, whom would you like to have in it? Oh, well, now, there you are. That's a uh, big thing. Yes, it is. Yes, I want to think about that for a minute. Oh, uh, plenty of time. Yes, let me see. Uh, Eddie Cantor. Well, he's working, but maybe it could be arranged for one night. Oh, I think if he were made to understand. Oh, right? I'm sure he would. Yes. Yeah. Eddie Cantor. Alfred Lund. I like him a lot. Alfred Lund. Lund. Beatrice Lilly? Oh, there. I have to disappoint you. She's out of town. Oh, couldn't make it, you think, huh? well, She's in Pittsburgh. Never get here for one night. Oh, well, I'm kind of disappointed about that. Oh, you're uh, not but... offended? No, 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 but I can't say I like it. <laughs> well, perhaps we could put on another show later and have her. Yes, let's do that. Okay, I don't want to lose you. No. <laughs> Uh, now, then, to get back, uh, the Marx Brothers. Marx Brothers. Brothers yes. I'll see if I can get them. Yes. And, oh, yes, you remember I showed you a picture of my niece, Caroline. I remember. Yes, she's very talented. I've often thought that if she could have her chance, you know, this might be a very good opportunity for us. Do you think we can get her? Oh, yes. Yes, now, let me see whom we've got. We've got Eddie, Eddie Cantor, Cantor Alfred Lund, Lund, the Marx Brothers, Brothers
6: and, Caroline.
9: and Caroline. Yes, that's a very well-balanced bill. No, I like it. Mm. Now, about the theater, could they have some place handy? Uh, just as you say. Because one of the troubles of the stage today is that they build a theater so far from people's homes. Mm. I'll tell you what. Suppose mm. I have them come up to your house. Yeah. Then you won't have to move. Oh, that would be splendid. Mm. Uh, Mr. Pritchard, you said? Yes, Eugene Pritchard, 718 and a half West 168th Street. Uh, just uh, ring Friedman's bell. Right. Yes, sir. Uh... Left Friedman isn't there anymore, but we never changed it. I see. <laughs> if you really want Friedman, you have to go up to the Warwick Hotel. Oh, well, now about what time, Mr. Pritchard? A uh, quarter to nine? Yes, that'll be fine. I hope I don't forget and go out. Well, Mr. Pritchett, it's been a pleasure to serve you. Now, you're sure they'll come? I don't want to go all the way home unless there's going to be some entertainment there. Oh, they'll be there, positively. Well, that's fine. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, you know what, Mr. McTyson? This will not only help restore the legitimate stage, but it'll certainly brighten up my house. <laughs>
11: thank you. And thank you.
5: And here's some more good news about coffee.
6: Another thing you'll like, the new Radiant Roast Maxwell House coffee comes in two grinds.
5: The regular grind for percolator or boiled coffee, the special drip grind for glass
9: coffee maker or drip pot method. Either way, you'll be sure of getting rich, full flavor, deeply satisfying coffee. Because to use a grind made specially for your method is the secret for getting the utmost out of your coffee. You'll be glad to know, too, that the new Radiant Roast Maxwell House coffee comes in both one and two-pound cans. So if
5: your family's a large one, buy the two-pound can for convenience and further economy. Tomorrow, get a can of Radiant Roast Maxwell House coffee. We believe it; you'll find it just the coffee you've been looking for. The coffee that's good to the last drop. And now we come to the MGM Concert Hall, an institution which is becoming one of the most outstanding features in our Good News program, thanks to Meredith Wilson's presentation of his lists of the world's Ten favorite melodies. Excuse me, Jimmy, but it's not my list. These ten compositions were chosen by music critics, composers, editors, teachers of music, and the public. In the opinion of this representative group, these ten melodies are the most popular in the whole field of fine music. Tonight is number six, the famous Londonderry Air. Coffee truly brings you special good news tonight. Could you use $5,000? Would you like a trip to Hollywood? You have an opportunity to get all this for sending a title and giving reasons for your selection for a great new motion picture that Clarence Brown has directed and which stars
8: Walter Houston, Bula
5: Bundy, James Stewart, and a score of others. You will now hear Mr. Lionel Barrymore, who tonight will tell you a part of the story for which Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer seeks a title, Mr. Barrymore.
4: The original title of the story of this picture was Benefits for God, a powerful story of ambition, a burning ambition that knew no bounds that stifled love, gratitude, and duty to achieve its object. What does a man owe to his father and mother whose loving heart set him out on life's journey? What does a boy owe to the girl who loves him, who believes in him in spite of everything and everybody? These are the central questions in this dramatic story which uh, we want you to choose a title for. It's a story of Ethan Wilkins, a country parson, half pioneer, half preacher, who comes to a small Ohio town in the romantic period of the 1850s. He has with him his wife, a delicate but courageous woman, and his 12-year-old son, Jason, Ethan Wilkins is a two-fisted parson, and his neighbors soon recognize his qualities of greatness. But to his own son, Ethan Wilkins appears a failure. Young Jason Wilkins suffers agonies of shame because he must wear the second-hand clothes which are given his father in lieu of salary. He resents the poverty and misery of their existence. He hates the Skimping economies his mother is forced to practice to keep their little household together. All these things arouse in Jason an ambition to go out in the world and make a success of his life. His father feels that the boy should remain at home. They disagree sharply. As Jason grows older, the gap widens between him and his father. For Jason wants to become a doctor. Ethan Wilkins can't sympathize with his son's interest in the science of medicine, holding that it's more important to save men's souls than to repair their bodies. Eventually, this conflict between father and son leads to a disastrous and tragic fight between them, following which the young man leaves home. Now, this is only the first part of the story, which at its close builds to one of the most dramatic scenes that's ever been in, in any motion picture. It's a marvelous story, and it deserves a great title.
5: Thank you, Lionel Barrymore. That is a grand story. Well, wait till you hear it next week.
9: Lionel, uh, that contest sounds like a wonderful opportunity to me. I think I'm going to try and think up a title.
5: No, Frank Morgan, you can't compete. No employee of General Foods, (laughs) Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, or Lowe's Incorporated can enter. But you, ladies and gentlemen, you can start thinking tonight. What would you call this picture? In published story form, the title was Benefits Forgot. It was written by Honoré Morrow. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer believes a better title can be found. That you, the radio listeners and movie fans of America, can find it. And here are the rules. Send your title to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, title editor, post office, Box 7, Culver City, California. And with it, send a short letter, not more than 50 words, explaining why you believe your title is best. All answers must be received by midnight on January 13, 1938. On January 27th, the name of the winner will be announced. Do not submit more than one title in your letter. Only titles which have not been previously used will be considered. If the title is duplicated, the judges will select a winner on the basis of the best letter accompanying that title. All titles and reasons submitted become the property of Metro goldwyn Mayor and cannot be returned. If your title and reason does not win the award of $5000 and the trip to Hollywood in this contest, remember that Metro Golden Mayor reserves the right to use your title in any manner that it sees fit in the future or at any time without compensation. Judges will be Louis B. Mayer, John W. Considine, Jr., Clarence Brown, James K. McGinnis, and Lawrence Stallings, and their decision will be final. The person who submits the title and reason for that title, which the judges select as the most suitable, will receive the reward of $5,000 and a trip to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios, Culver City, California. And you'll hear the rest of the details tomorrow. Next week... You'll hear Fanny Bryce, Frank Morgan, Lionel Barrymore and Robert Taylor. Sounds like a great show and remember your ticket of admission is just your loyalty to Maxwell House Coffee. So tune in next Thursday and enjoy Good News of 1938 in the meantime go to the movies and enjoy yourself. Good night everybody. Happy New Year.
2: And that was Good News hosted by James Stewart and starring Manaloy, Lionel Barrymore, Fanny Bryce, Wallace Beery, Frank Morgan and a glittering array of MGM Studios talent. Just beautiful. And if you ever want to slip away into a different time, I highly recommend you dig into the whole archive. It's tastic. I'll leave a link to the archive of episodes for you in the show notes of this episode. They're all freely available online and they'll cheer you up no end, should you need cheering. And remember, if you're a fan of these shows and you'd like to access not just the ones freely available on the feed, but the entire archive, hundreds of hours, of reviews, old Hollywood deep dives, fun, frivolity, and much more, then start the new year off right and sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Sign up now and come along every Sunday to our beautifully curated film club evenings where I and a whole host of other old Hollywood fanatics gather each week to watch the very best movies of all time, and the best part is that you get to vote for the ones that we see. If you're in the mood for noir, then get that vote, in. if you want a musical, then make sure it gets screened. Every week, hundreds of people cast their votes, and it's so much fun to see films battling it out. Become part of the film club community now and also gain access to the complete Old Hollywood Archive of not just Attaboy Clarence, but also The Secret History of Hollywood. 12 complete biopic series, including Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, The Warner Brothers, Universal Horror, Alfred Hitchcock, Val Lewton, The Thin Man, so much more. An all-new episode of Carrie is currently in the editing stages. Can't wait for you to hear that one. Plus an intriguing new mini-series entitled The Curious Tale, of The Missing Pioneer has just kicked off on Patreon and I'm having so much fun writing that. True crime meets movie time. Just go on over now to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the handy link in the show notes of this episode. Only takes a moment to sign up. Well, that's all we have time for this week, though. Thank you very much for joining me. Happy New Year! Here's to a very old Hollywood 2024 and until we speak again, take splendid care of yourself and those you love, and bye for now.